0: Welcome, Birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. My guest on this episode is Greg Harrington. Greg is a Washington birder who's been birding only for a relatively few years, but has really burst on the scene here in western Washington, King County especially, but around the state. He's done a big year recently in Washington, and he's also traveled a lot during the pandemic and has some fun stories to tell about how to be a teacher, a high school history teacher, on the road teaching from wherever you happen to be while you're birding around the country. So pretty fun stories. I think you'll enjoy hearing from Greg. Help me welcome to the Bird Banner podcast, Greg Harrington. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for doing this. How are you today?
1: Good. Great to be here. Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, I've been uh, wanting to get you on for a long time. I followed your big year, uh, what a couple of years ago, and uh, and we met a while ago. It was kind of fun meeting you. I think I I believe the first time we met was at a ferruginous hawk down in the woodland bottoms, baby thousand nineteen. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, I think th- I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, when a, I I didn't end up seeing that bird, but that's okay.
0: Oh, okay. I think we saw it after you left or something. I don't remember. Maybe I went again. I can't remember the details. But it was uh, it was clear that you were you know. Really avid and kind of beginning uh, at that point. Was that fair to state?
1: Oh yeah. Sometimes I still feel that way. So, uh,
0: but that's okay. (laughs) Well, you have uh, come on the scene and really become an avid birder in short order. Tell me your birding story and and what was such a what got you? How did you get so passionate so quickly? That that's a great question. Sometimes I'm not even really
1: sure of the answer to that. To be honest with you, Uh, my uh, my. Well, my brother-in-law is probably the one who's maybe most responsible. I'd say it's just something that I've always kind of been interested in. I remember as a little kid, uh, I I grew up in upstate New York. I remember as a little kid, we had a bird feeder. And um, one of the earliest birds I remember coming to it are evening grosbeaks, uh, which are just kind of, you know, remarkable birds and just really caught my attention. Another time as a little kid too, we had a, uh, a Northern saw wet owl I guess I I didn't really know about this, but they can kind of perch on like people's um, chimneys Mm -hmm. and this one happened to fall into our fireplace. So we woke up. Yeah. So we woke up one morning with like this uh, owl kind of, fortunately the doors were closed in the fireplace, but this owl was kind of uh, freaking out in the fireplace, eventually calmed down and a guy from fish and wildlife came out and got it out of the fireplace. But just, so from an early age, I remember having kind of these experiences with birds and just kind of enjoying them. But I, I suppose like people talk about like a spark bird and uh, it's, it's going to seem kind of silly now, but uh, I, I'd say for me, that was a Stellar's Jay. I was out, I, I really like to hike and um, I was out hiking one time and saw this just giant blue and black bird that I had never seen before and was just uh, like, oh my God, what is that? Um, And so I had this idea that they were sort of this uh, elusive mountain bird that you couldn't really see anywhere else. Uh, Now, of course, they're like in my backyard, like every 15 minutes um, once, you know, to look for them. But what a stunning bird. And from there, it was just kind of took off. E-bird really helped a lot, too. Like, I think getting a sense of where you can go and what you might see there uh, really helped to make it a lot more fun as well.
0: Yeah ebird is a fabulous tool for birders to these days. Uh, my seller's story I it was one of my favorite early birds too. I started birding when I was in the army at West Point uh, and I got out of the army after maybe a year and a half and it, I I decided I was going to move here. I got a, I got a job and I was out sort of looking for a place to live, really. And I was in the Puyallup area and rode through this neighborhood, and this crazy black and blue bird dropped down. And I knew, I knew, I'd been studying really hard for like a year, you know, two years or something. And I knew a Stellar's Jay was different than a blue jay and was out here, but I didn't realize that they would just like land in front of my car when I parked to look at a house. It was like crazy. Kay and I are like, oh my goodness. I said, that's a stellar J. She says, yeah. Kay had been birding longer. She's from California. Oh yeah. They're really common out here. I says, but they are really cool.
1: <laughs> they are really cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things that kind of
1: keeps me going with it too. I mean, there's lots of things, but like learning about different, like stellar J subspecies and that some of them have, you know, white lines on their eyes and some don't um just and it's just kind of interesting like the, the more you learn you, there's just so much more to even figure out you know
0: yeah there's no end that's another great thing about birding is that the learning never ends uh you know you just there's always more you don't know than you know yeah good uh so you have uh in the last three or four years have really gotten around birding around Washington for sure. And it looked like around the country. Uh, tell me about your birding travels uh, and maybe about your big ear. Yeah, I've, I've
1: uh, definitely traveled a lot. I still haven't been to Alaska and Hawaii, but those are kind of next on my list to try to figure out. But I, have I I've, um, Washington state, you know, I, I didn't obviously when I moved out here I lived out here maybe 25 years or so I didn't realize sort of the the diversity of terrain uh, in Washington state and so that's one of the things that is fascinating is just how different it is from like the the coast out up by the beach uh, different mountain ranges uh, and then eastern Washington's like a whole different thing altogether with you know the sage habitat um, and kind of eastern, more Eastern birds kind of wandering into uh, kind of Eastern Washington. So getting out and exploring Washington has been super fun. And thankfully it's not, it's a big state, but it's not too big, you know, like a, like a Montana big year would probably be a nightmare. Uh, like Washington is just about big enough. And I've, I've traveled in some other parts of the country too. Like I imagine like, uh, like Georgia, for example, like a like being a county lister in a place like Georgia would be kind of tedious since all the counties are so small like Washington mm-hmm. uh the counties are are pretty big, some of them are very large I mean I guess willkecum is kind of tiny but um but just getting out and seeing all these different all these different like habitats is pretty amazing I mean some of my favorite places unfortunately there's like you know five hour drive away like, probably my, one of my favorite parks in Washington is uh field spring state park down in Soton County. It's amazing, but it's, you got to work at it to get there. You
0: know, it is, it is a great place. Mary and I camped there for, I think four nights, a couple, a, a few years ago, three or four years ago. And wow. I mean, my favorite memory of field spring state park, there's a road and I'm terrible with directions, but if, if you come up the main way, that's one way, but then there's like this Back way a little more east, and it goes along this ridge line and there's fields on both sides and barbed wire. And it seemed like there was a grasshopper sparrow on every fence wire. It was just like, you know, usually I got a grasshopper sparrow. It's like I got 15 grasshopper sparrows in 20 <laughs> minutes. You know, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and some places, you know, there's not a whole lot of birders either. So I, you know, that's, I think that's another thing that's appealed to me about it is, uh, again, with eBird, you know, the the information going into this database and then being available to researchers. Like, I, I feel like I'm kind of contributing to uh, kind of what science knows about where these birds are and like where they're breeding. So, I mean, you know, places like uh, you were talking earlier about Ferry County, you know, like places like Ferry County and Stevens County.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like those places honestly they're probably some of the most beautiful places in the state and uh there's only like maybe one or two people who are kind of birding out there regularly and there's who knows what's out there you know there could be entire population of some eastern warbler that we just don't even know so it's just it's been really fun the only the only place I haven't been in Washington that I I definitely need to get to is um Nia Bay which i Yeah. It's been closed for most of the time that I've been a birder. You're
0: right. Um, You're right. I haven't thought of that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and honestly, for the year that I did the big year, it was probably kind of a good thing that it was closed uh, just from a time perspective, because it's kind of far out there. And uh, I was working, you know, I'd call it full time, but it was like the COVID year. So I was teaching, I'm a high school teacher, so I was teaching online. um, So it wasn't, uh quite as time consuming as uh, in person but i imagine having to make you know six seven trips out to nia bay would have added considerably to the amount of effort you had to put in
0: it would have it had added a couple of birds but it, it would have been a lot of effort but nia bay is just so cool uh for listeners who don't know nia bay is in the very northwest corner of the olympic peninsula uh, and it seems to be a place that vagrants come from all directions. Uh, you get uh, eastern birds that who knows how they get there. The assumption is maybe they uh, come across the Strait of Juan de Fuca or maybe, who knows, uh, but especially south, southern birds, southwestern birds after breeding seem to sometimes go in the wrong direction and go north and end up there and you know, they hit the Strait of Juan de and say, oh, my God, I don't want to go any farther. <laughs> There's water there. And they seem to get it's just a place that really strange birds show up.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm sure I'll get out there at some point. I just haven't. It's it's a little bit too far for a day trip.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. Um Living in Seattle. I mean, you know, it's not it wouldn't be completely impossible to do a day trip. I'm sure I've driven. There was like a. The year I did the big year, there was a Hudsonian Godwit that showed up out in Spokane, mm-hmm. and that and uh, that's one of those days where I'm trying to decide like how how crazy am I uh, driving to Spokane for to see this bird and then drive back? Like my non birder friends think it's pretty crazy, although you know they'll we all have our our thing, I guess.
0: It is, you know, what's crazy to me is fun to you and vice versa. <laughs> or maybe what's crazy to me is normal <laughs> to you, <laughs> since we both do similar things sometimes. Hard to say. Uh, so I also noted on your eBird profile uh, that you have you have an eBird list on all of the lower 48 states. Was that a big, a huge undertaking in the last couple of years or is a lot of that historical?
1: No, it, uh, it's really the like the last like four years or
0: so. How did Um, did you, how have you done that? My word, that's a lot of traffic.
1: I like to, I like to drive. I like to drive, but uh, a good chunk of it was, uh, again, during like the COVID year, when Mm -hmm. I was teaching online, I really wanted to see my mom who lives in upstate New York. And so, you know, car rentals were pretty much free. Flying was not really safe, especially going to visit my elderly mom. So Well, she probably wouldn't want me to call her elderly. So, my older, my mom. So, your your wonderful, beautiful, (laughs) fabulous mother who
0: lives on the east coast. I know
1: what she loves here. (laughs) So, I decided that I would I would drive there and um, kind of teach on the road, and then spend a couple weeks at my mom's house to kind of teach from there. Uh, With the time change, it was. I mean, I like to get up early, so I I guess, well, actually I take it back, kind of bumped it the other way. So I was teaching a little bit later into the day, but, so I stopped at a bunch of places uh, and like, you know, there were a lot of kind of, it was, I I left probably late late October Mm -hmm. and the weather, it was one of those late Octobers that, where the weather was much more like summer, actually uh, kind of all across the country. So I stopped a bunch of places, saw different things that I hadn't ever seen before, some of which I sought out, you know, like um, Smith's longspurs, rusty blackbirds in Wisconsin. Then some stuff just kind of showed up that I didn't expect, like my lifer Philadelphia, Vireo in uh, McGee Marsh, just kind of wandered through a bush while I just happened to be there. And then coming back, I I took a very detoured route through the South um, to see stuff like some California condors and there's just a lot of really pretty spots, like uh, along the Mississippi. There was a place like in Missouri that I stopped that was just amazingly beautiful. And um, I think it's pronounced Kirva National Wildlife Refuge. And in, in uh, Kansas, it was mm-hmm. just unbelievable. Saw a um, whooping crane kind of in migration, mm-hmm. which was, which was pretty cool. Although the kind of a foggy, not great look, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, so that like that road trip kind of I kind of detoured around through quite a few states uh, and saw a bunch of stuff like on the way out and on the way back. But then since then too, I've done. uh, By the way, the Carvana company was not really that excited about the eight thousand miles that I put on the car in a month, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, But since I've done some other road trips, like I like uh, right when school got out this year, I did like a trip kind of in the deep south. Mostly wanted to visit Arkansas, and uh, again, most people thought I was crazy because uh, why stuff. would you go? <laughs> yeah, why would you go to Arkansas? But it was really, it was great. I loved it. Like the Ozarks were really pretty, and uh, I mean, maybe parts of the southeast were kind of uh, up southeast Arkansas were not that great, but but the uh, the Ozarks were really pretty, and you get like a, a kind of an interesting combo of sort of southern. Warblers and then, like, some of the more northern species, like cerulean warbler and worm eating warbler, kind of have their southern limit of their breeding range is kind of down that way. And then they also get some of the kind of more western species. Like, I didn't happen to see a roadrunner, but they're, I know, in western um, Arkansas, scissor tail flycatchers are kind of all over the place. So, Arkansas is really kind of a pretty interesting
0: mix. It is. It is. Uh, I, I did a road trip up the Mississippi, I think not this past spring, the spring before, uh, and it was really fun. I, I loved the things I recognized on that trip are our National Wildlife Refuge System is crazy cool. I mean, yeah, everybody talks about our national parks and they are wonderful, but our National Wildlife Refuge System is, there are so many really fabulous, fabulous places to go and they're just, there wide open and you can drive around a lot of them it's just really cool
1: yeah a lot of times when i'm there since i can travel in the summer uh is there's no one there you know it's 95 degrees i mean all the ducks have usually cleared out but there's like all kinds of other stuff to be seen but not usually a whole lot in the way of people so that's always kind of nice too
0: it is nice. Many of these places we went to, we were, I think, seemed like the only people on the refuge. There may have been other people, but it certainly wasn't crowded. Uh, so you have uh, gone from, you know, begin, uh, you know, beginning to be an avid birder to pretty proficient. What were some of the ways you learned so quickly? I bet other adults who might be listening, uh, who are trying to figure out how do you learn to identify birds? How do you figure out where to see birds? You know, what are some of the? How'd you learn so quickly? Well, I I ask a
1: lot of questions as probably anybody who's been around me for more than five minutes will attest to hopefully, I I apologize to any of the people I've driven crazy. Um, But definitely a lot of books, you know, there's like a lot of great uh, stuff in print, like the the Birders Guide to Washington uh, is really a fantastic resource for like all of the different hotspots in Washington. And a lot of other states have similar things like uh, I like I early on I did you know I thought there was only kind of bird identification guides, but like the bird finding guides, which I guess have kind of an older. So I, I teach history too, so I am always kind of interested in sort of like how things came to be. I guess they were the the Lane guides mm-hmm. maybe was sort yeah, of the Jim, original. Jim Lane
0: and, and through yeah the Lane guides were yeah. the originals and. Yeah, if you get a lane, if their state has a lane guide that's not too old, you know you've got something good. And even the old <laughs> ones are pretty good.
1: Yeah, it seems like most of the like states where birders really go, like Arizona, Texas, Florida, mm-hmm. all have California, all have like these uh, kind of bird finding guides that are really uh, useful. I think even more sometimes even more so than eBird. Like eBird will tell you kind of what people are seeing at the places that people are going, but mm-hmm. they won't really tell you about the places where there aren't any people there. And so these get these other bird guides can be really helpful.
0: And a lot of them lay out routes. They'll say, you know, if you want a half day route from this city, go here. And if you want, you know, or if you've got a two day route, go there. And, and they're really fabulous. Yeah. And it seems like, like with the
1: lane guides, like I've learned now too, like there's, um, I don't know what the right adjective would be, but birds seem, seem to show up in the same places year after year mm-hmm. so like uh, you know some of some of these guides are like you know go to the second mailbox and there'll be this thing there you know like there's like probably in arizona there's probably some elf owl that everybody has been to arizona has seen the same elf owl in the telephone pole um, nest or whatever
0: um, exactly they can be very detailed i mean the British Guide to Washington is similar. Uh, and it, it is amazing. Uh, one of my favorites, I, I think it's Jerry Cooper. Uh, I'll, I'll put in the podcast notes. Have, have you seen that book? The uh, He wrote a book, gosh, along, in the 1990s, I think, early 90s. So it's not a new book, but he wrote a book uh, of how to see 650 species in the US in one year on a budget. And he put together the trips in early January. Do this. You can camp here. You can stay at these hotels. This is the route you take. It should take about six days. Uh, these are the key birds you should see. It's just really detailed. But it's, I, I have to say, uh, I've used that for half a dozen. I've done half a dozen or so of the trips in that book. And they're the most, a lot of them are the classic, you know, lower 48 birding trips. Uh, but it's really nice to have a, you know, a, a, a five-day trip laid out for you like that it's just really cool
1: yeah so so different books like the you know obviously like field guides bird finding guides have been really helpful one of the things that's been really helpful too is just learning bird sound like uh i feel like probably i don't know what the percentage is but maybe 70 percent of the birds identify now are based on call i i kind of started Really, just before Merlin took off. And I'd say it's really in the last year that Merlin's become like really good. Like, before that it might tell you there's something that's obviously not there. But uh, I feel like it's very accurate now. Um, I, I'm sure there's probably still some glaring mistakes here and there. But, but Learning Bird calls, and there's like little apps on your phone and little like online quiz sites. Mm-hmm. So learning like the like bird calls, I think, has been hugely important to oh, being able to ID stuff.
0: Name a couple of these online quiz sites. Get help help listeners know what you're talking about. Um, let's see. I'm just let me look at this
1: app really quick. Uh, Larkwire is one that I've used. That's that's really good. Uh, the quiz site online was kind of hard to find. Um, let me try to track it down here really quick.
0: Lockwire, while you're looking. Lockwire, I love Lockwire. I bought that uh, back when it was just on a computer. Uh, and it it was re- it's really helpful. If, if you're going to travel to a place or want to narrow down, it, it breaks birds into types of sounds. It's really fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, this one's the online site's just called birdingquiz.com. And uh, it, it does photo. Uh, I think it, it must take photos from Macaulay Library so you can plug in like what state you want like top 100 birds and it will just kind of scroll through bird pictures and then you you know you can there's different quiz modes
0: um, does, does that work for other countries too
1: yeah they they do have some foreign
0: countries in there oh, wow. as well. wow very cool yeah. i have not seen that i have to check it out i'm excited that's cool
1: yeah yeah it's pretty good but i i mean i think probably better than anything is just is just going out birding you know so like it, becoming familiar with the 50 or so species that are common in your area and just knowing all their calls this time of year, it's kind of a weird, like there's always like all kinds of weird noises coming from the woods. It's like, what, what is that? Oh, it's a, you know, it's a toe. Mo- most of the time when I'm confused now, it's usually a toe, a spotted toe mm-hmm. of some kind. Or, or a bee uh, run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but knowing sort of the common stuff, and then that way, when you hear something that you're like, that's not one of the common things and trying to track it down can be is you know kind of helpful.
0: one one of the things I'm trying to do is uh, see a hundred birds in all of the counties in Washington. And you've done that. Uh, uh, I as you mentioned earlier, Ferry County is my one left. I'll knock that down this summer sometime. <laughs> uh, or the, I think early fall, I think I've got a plan, but anyway, we'll see, uh, what were some of your favorite counties in Washington? What, uh, what were challenges and what were just really cool places you never would have gone to if you hadn't been looking for birds in that specific county?
1: Yeah. Well, I like, surprisingly, I think Lincoln County might've been one of the hardest ones. I don't, I don't really know why. Um, I think there's just maybe not a ton of like known birding spots there. Um, you would think again, like places that are small, like Wakame County, would be kind of hard. But I think because of the Julia Butler Hansen Wildlife Refuge, you can
0: mm-hmm.
1: pretty much in one trip down there, you can see sixty-five or more.
0: Yeah, if you go a summer um, and a winter trip, you kind of can knock that county <laughs> like that down pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So getting, I would say, like some of those, like um, like Douglas County. Like counties where there's not a whole lot of diversity of habitat, you know, like you could see probably, you know, three thousand hornlarks in Douglas County, <laughs> but if you're if you're trying to get to a hundred, that's not going to get you very far. But I, it's I don't it sort of happened by accident. I I kind of was just sort of birding around, and I did want to visit every county, and then I realized like, hey, I'm kind of close to this thing, and. Uh, uh, Matt Bartels keeps like the uh, the record of who's seen what, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess maybe I'll try to track down a few more things here and there and see if I can get to 100 in every county." Yeah, it definitely took a while, but the Blue Mountains down in Southwest uh, Wash or Southeast Washington, mm-hmm. are probably some of that's an area that I definitely want to go explore a lot more.
0: It is beautiful, just beautiful.
1: But I'd say in terms of doing 100 in every county. Down there, it gets kind of confusing because the counties are sort of small and shaped weird. And there's not much, I don't know how, there's probably a lot more dirt roads Mm -hmm. in places like Garfield and Columbia County than there are paved roads down there. So it's like, what, sometimes you might not even know exactly what county you're in.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I took a trip this spring to knock down, I had three counties in the southeast Washington left. We think Columbia. Whitman and Garfield counties, and they just they all meet in a corner, and so you can do all three counties and maybe only travel thirty or forty miles. And so I went down and I spent a day in each county. But as I was finishing the third day, I feel like I'm doing the same thing. I get up in the morning, I see the same birds. I get up the next morning, so I had like in in one day of birding in each county, I, I'm making these numbers up. But I had something like sixty six species in one county, sixty seven in the next county, and sixty eight in the next county, and they were almost it, it, you know by the third day i was not seeing hardly any birds i hadn't seen in one of the other of the two counties so it was it was like wow this is kind of yeah you know, i need to spread out and see some other habitats
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i i i can tell you too i've stayed in a lot of uh like kind of sketchy hotel motels along the way uh traveling across the country and traveling here and there Mm-hmm. But the uh, the best Best Western in Dayton down that way is probably one of the nicest hotels I've seen at pretty much anywhere.
0: It um, is. So- I, I stayed. <laughs> I, I I I've stayed there. It's very nice, and it's you know as hotels go, it's pretty reasonable, and yeah, very nice. Yeah,
1: I've, I've actually I've kind of learned that you really can't go wrong with Best Western pretty much anywhere. Uh, there's some other brands that I probably wouldn't stay at if I had a choice, but but Best Western usually if in doubt it's a pretty good spot
0: <laughs> you're right you're right <laughs> I, I should get them as a sponsor here <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah i didn't i didn't want to you know make it too commercial
0: but <laughs> i'm just teasing yeah <laughs> the last thing best wants wants to do is have me as a as a client uh, way below their uh, pay grade i think anyway uh so
1: but it's you, just, it's just weird cuz there's there's so many places that like Dayton, Washington. I don't know who's traveling through there for work or like mm-hmm. why they would almost. It's kind of a mystery why they would even have a hotel there to begin with, but then it's just such a nice place. Uh It was kind. I was kind of shocked.
0: So you you did your big year in 2021. It was uh you know the not, not much was open in 2021 when you were doing this, for better or for worse, Nia Bay was closed, Uh and you <laughs> still saw. I think I looked on Ebert. I think it was uh. 367 species in washington that year which uh i think prior to that year might have been the record for a species that was very close if it wasn't uh, will brooks uh, kind of blew everybody out of the water that year will is just yeah beyond talented i mean yeah he,
1: yes yeah
0: he, yeah uh I certainly don't consider myself in the same universe of birding talent that Will has. Neither uh, and, do I. <laughs> and, uh, and, but you, you don't have to be the best birder around to see the birds. You just got to get out and go see them and have fun. And uh, So what were some of your best experiences in that year? What were some of your favorite things? Well,
1: uh, yeah. For I mean, Will was uh, is one of those people who's been incredibly generous with like his time and information. So it was nice to, Actually, get out and bird with him a couple of times during the course of that year, uh, and I'm. I also grew up as a Red Sox fan, like oh uh, like pre two thousand four. So like, um, winning, honestly, is a little bit uncomfortable for me. So like, you know, coming in in the top five is that's fine by me. Uh, like uh, so, um, I was actually really happy with how it turned out myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> i I, i'm from
0: maine i was a red sox (laughs) fan growing up too so i completely get it
1: yeah it's just yeah when they won in 2004 i just wasn't really sure what to do with myself it was a little i it was a strange feeling so and I, i i tend to think of like birding is kind of one of the things i like about it is sort of how kind of uncompetitive it is like you you know you sharing information with each other. Uh, I, I tend to think of it more like, it's more like golf, you know, you're sort of kind of competing against yourself if you're mm-hmm. competing at all. Um, so it's really just kind of get out there. But for me, like that, like 2021 as a big year kind of was completely accidental. I, I, since there was so much that I hadn't seen uh, ever, like for the first part of the year, I just was kind of trying to get out there and, see some new stuff so like if uh you know an oriole popped up somewhere down and along the the coast i drove down there to go see it and then by about april i realized like yeah i've kind of seen a lot maybe i should uh keep this going and just kind of see how many different species i can see and I, i don't know if i would honestly i don't know if i would recommend uh doing a big year to anybody like you there's definitely it was I would say most of the time it was fun, but then there were definitely some parts, probably right around this time of year, like July through like maybe like October, where you've kind of seen most of the easy to find things and you're just sort of spending your time, you know, driving to Spokane to for five hours each way to see a, a Sony and Godwit. And so it was it was really a lot of driving. You gotta you gotta you have to like driving. Or live in rhode island and do a big year in rhode island or something
0: oh, um, county big <laughs> years or you know that's true yeah
1: well king county honestly is still a pretty big place same um, with
0: pierce yeah yeah same with pierce
1: yeah so you know maybe you got to think about that but but some of my favorite experiences were probably the things where like i where i found something that like i wasn't expecting to find like probably my favorite bird that I found that year for myself was the rose-breasted grosbeak. Just, I was just kind of, you know, picked a spot on the map, like, I, I don't I'm not even sure exactly how to pronounce it, maybe but the Chama, natural wildlife Preserve. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it. Uh, and it, I was like, Oh, that place sounds kind of cool. I'll go there. And, and just, you know, no, I wasn't really looking for anything. I just thought it'd be kind of a fun place to go birding. And uh, I was at the end of a pretty long day, and I was pretty tired. And then you know, this black and white bird pops up and, uh, you know, being kind of being, a new, you know, I'm, I still consider myself a pretty new birder, but even then I was more new. So I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get a picture of this thing or no one no one's going to believe me. And at that time, I was just digiscoping, which I've gotten I got pretty good at it. But it's still like, you know, that bird better not move. And it takes a minute to kind of line it up, even no matter how fast you are. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of lining it up. I'm like, please don't fly away. Please don't fly away. And so I'd I'd actually never seen a rose-breasted grosbeak before either. So it's my lifer uh, bird there. And so it was pretty fun. That was probably kind of one of my favorite things. And then I was really glad that it kind of stuck around for a while so that other people could see it. I think maybe it actually bred there. I don't, or tried to, uh, perhaps with the the black-headed grosbeak. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite experiences from the
0: year. Yeah, chasing birds that other people find is really cool but just finding birds especially when you're kind of they're unexpected as most real rarities are unexpected if you can't if they were expected they wouldn't be rarities you know uh and so it can be really fun like uh like last week i went to mount rainier was hiking at sunrise and uh and just it's early i was just walking up walking up to its frozen lake and all of a sudden two woodpeckers fly into a tree by me i go those don't look like hairy. They look a little different. And there's a pair of three toed woodpeckers. And I mean, it's not a rare bird, but I've hiked at sunrise many, many times. And I've never seen a three toed woodpecker. Other people have. But it was just, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's a uh, yeah, but yeah, s- somebody said, what what's what makes something addicting? It's the something that you know is going to happen when you do it. That's not addicting. I mean, I guess some things could be, but in general, <laughs> the high of finding something or some something happening unexpectedly uh, when, you, when you do something you normally do. Anyway, I can't remember, but it was, there's some theory about that, that I think it's right. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, for me, like, it doesn't even have to necessarily be like a, an unusual bird. Like, um, like a couple of days ago, I was down at a, a park here in West Seattle that I go to all the time. And unfortunately, there's not as many Caspian terns down there as there used to be. There used to, like a year or two ago, there would be like a hundred down there, but there were like eight. But this one had like a a fish in its bill, and it was just kind of waving it around in front of this other one, and then would fly around and raise a ruckus. So just kind of seeing some kind of behavior or noticing something like that that I've never really seen before, or sometimes the, some of the more gruesome aspects, you know, like a Merlin. Like I was at a, I was at a park that I've I've been trying to go to this park once a week uh, for the past year, and I was there like maybe um, in October, November last year, and uh, this Merlin took a Junco like, you know, maybe twenty feet in front of me, just like went poof and a bunch of feathers, and uh, I, you know, I'd never seen that before. So sometimes just like even the fairly common regular birds doing behaviors better are unusual is kind of interesting
0: exactly yeah it's really fun. one year a few years ago the there wasn't much of a snow cap in the mountains and so sunrise usually to go to sunrise you can't get up there till maybe 5th or 10th or 15th of july i mean it's, the road's closed but this year is open that year's open in maybe may or june it's really early i don't remember exactly when it was but i went up there hiking and it's a whole different experience because the pippet's which normally, I mean, if you see one skylocking, you're really lucky in July because they're kind of done with that sort of thing. But I got up there early and they were just pippets just flying up high and skylocking around and doing that trilly sort of song they do. It was just like, whoa, so, so super cool. And yeah, pippets, you know, the mountains, pippets are, you know, they're cool, but you expect to see them and it doesn't get you that excited, but that behavior's really cool.
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen them do that. I've, I've seen some of the... uh some of the long spurs do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I guess it's the thick billed long spur now, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and chestnut collared, like in Montana. But, um, but that's cool.
0: it's it, worth it. Try to get up to uh, uh, the mountains early some year and get up there early in the morning, early in the year, and it's 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 spectacular. I had I had seen that with Sprague's pipit a few years, quite a few years ago when I went to to their breeding grounds in probably montana or north dakota i don't remember uh but that that's kind of the only way we saw them because once you get down in the crash you can never find them but they'd be you know 200 yards up in the air maybe just doing this crazy flying in circles and singing this spectacular song and doing it over and over and, over. and it was so cool and and when i saw an american uh, american pipit, i says wow that's just like a sprague's pippet kind of it was really fun yeah What what are some of the other uh, interesting bird behavior things you've seen that kind of got your juices going?
1: Um, Well, again, I guess at this park that I've been going to, like when you go to the same place kind of consistently all the time, it's kind of interesting noticing some of the changes. So it was probably April maybe, I noticed a pair of downy woodpeckers kind of excavating uh, like a a nest hole and Mm -hmm. kind of on successive trips kind of saw them working on this nest hole and eventually they set up shop there and um got to watch you know them raise their young feeding them and then like the the woodpeckers kind of sticking their faces out of the out of the the hole and then eventually leaving yeah i think they're i think that same pair is actually setting up another nest site i don't know if uh wood, woodpeckers tend to do more than one brood in a season um, I, I think know. these ones are, uh, cause the, the hole looks pretty fresh. I saw a chickadee kind of checking out the excavated hole and there's a lot of sawdust in there. So it must be pretty, and then, the downy was kind of really close by. So it's just kind of neat, uh, to me noticing, cause a lot of times, like when, like when you're doing like a big year or like county listing or something, you just like, you know, Oh, downy woodpecker. And then you kind of move on. But, uh. But being in the in the same place kind of for an hour and going at a kind of a slower pace and trying to notice more of what's happening, you, you kind of learn more about these birds life cycle, which I think is okay. kind of interesting. Yeah, And that I'd say in, in like a bigger picture, one of the things that I find so fascinating about birds too is just their life story, you know? Like it's kind of cool that this downy woodpecker lives in this park but then there's other stories too, like uh, like I'd say like red knots are probably one of my favorite birds, and you know again i worrying about sort of the their demise as a species is kind of sad. So I, every time I see them, I feel like it's special because you know how how much longer? Hope I mean hopefully it'll go on for for a thousand, two thousand, or a millennia or whatever. But um, but knowing that like okay this this species you know could take a hit. Or things like the, uh, like that, the bar-tailed godwit, like their kind of annual migration is just kind of amazing to think about. So in terms of like animal, like in terms of birds' behavior, I'd say just kind of learning their life story, whether it's Mm -hmm. kind of mundane little things about nesting in a park, or you know, seeing this bird on a beach in Washington and knowing like it was in South America three weeks you know two months ago and it's on its way up to alaskan and i don't i don't think they really stop here on the way back
0: I, I think stopping is is more you know in general i think i think of the this is a rush to get there in the spring uh and so they have a well-defined well fairly well understood route they have key staging sites and they've got to show up on this day and make the babies it's got as a big hurry timing or coming back you know i'm gonna go south but you know maybe it's a nice day here today or boy that looks like a good place to stop i i think they're at least a lot of species not the bartail tail god what you talked about but a lot of species it's a, a rush north and a leisurely trip south with lots of exceptions i'm sure lots of migration experts will uh think I'm wacko about that. (laughs) I have to say one of my favorite things is when I see a new species or see something interesting about a species or whatever, when something piques my attention, I love going to uh, birds of the world. Uh, Cornell's Birds of the World, which you, as a Wasp member, have access to. The yeah, really cool benefit of being a Wasp member out there. Anyone who wants to uh, get uh, free access to Birds of the World, which is like six bucks a month or something, you twenty five dollars become a Wasp member. You get member. You get access anyway. Use Birds of the World uh, and read them. Read the whole monograph. It's like usually it can be fifteen or twenty pages with a lot of crazy details that you may or may not be interested in, but almost always you learn something really cool about a species by doing that. It's really fun.
1: Yeah, I, I love learning more about like subspecies and morphs and things like that. I, I haven't really got into uh, like molt patterns uh, as much, but like what Arkansas, I actually was t- texting with some people earlier today. In Arkansas, I saw this uh, Northern Bobwhite. Mm-hmm. Like it was making a Bobwhite call
0: that's and right yeah
1: and uh but it was completely red and so i'm like what is this crazy bird like is this like a a masked bob what like i know like in bob white's one of those species where it could be wild it could be some yeah, has, sure. that got away or it could be somebody's you know recreation that they plan to you know shoot it or something and it it survived but um but just yeah so i went to birds of the world to try to figure out what is this thing like are there are there subpopulations morphs uh that um that would better fit with this uh, bobwhite that i saw I, I i think it turns out that it's a type called the tennessee red which i don't think is a recognized subspecies but in the wild these uh red bobwhites somewhere in tennessee and i think people have been raising them cuz they're maybe more interesting or uh, i don't know not that regular pop whites aren't interesting enough but mm. yeah the birds of the world is great uh, and getting into like some of those details it is
0: it is a great resource uh cornell seems to be the place where all these great resources come from these days I, they've acquired some of them and developed some of them and you know ebird and birds of the world and uh, merlin and and the, the all of these uh courses you can take they they just seem to be the uh Center of North American birding uh, these days, yeah, you know if there's anyone
1: from Cornell listening, you know my my dream job is like to basically carry somebody's luggage as they travel around the globe documenting like bird calls. So uh, you know if there's anyone out there who's looking for a luggage carrier. Uh, I would gladly volunteer for that okay. job. Okay,
0: well, you may be able to get it as a volunteer. I don't know if you get it as a paid job. <laughs> a summer volunteer for a school teacher, that'd be a great gig for a couple of years. <laughs> so you've been around the lower 48. you would said Hawaii and Alaska are sort of in your sights, so to speak, as places to go. Uh, is any travel, uh, other travel for birding, uh, uh, you know, in your future? yeah you know, certainly like Central America,
1: parts of South America, one of the hurdles there, I guess, is I've never really been to those places so I don't really I don't I don't really speak Spanish. Uh, some of these places have you know what would be hundreds of new species. I like think about how much work it's been just to become familiar with you know 600, 700 species that you can see in North America. And how much I still don't know. I can't like being in the rainforest somewhere, uh, trying to figure this stuff out without a guide seems especially daunting.
0: Um, For me, impossible. <laughs> 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 my my daughter lives in Costa Rica, so I travel to to Latin America, you know, reasonably frequently, and uh, I love birding there. It's so much fun. And I've come to a point where if I'm going to go birding without a guide, I'm just going to go and enjoy. I'm going to see what I can see and enjoy looking at them and not be frustrated when I can't identify them and love the dawn course and not worry that there are a hundred birds calling and I only know two of them. Uh, (laughs) I just have to relax and have fun, you know, because otherwise it's overwhelming. But using a guide is fabulous. Uh, And yeah, I highly recommend getting a guide if you go there.
1: Yeah, so I, I assume that I'll I'll kind of sort out some of those details. Um and certainly hiring a guide seems good too. I think, you know, um one of the things that I, I think has helped to motivate me as well is just like being a history teacher, you know, like the global population has doubled in my lifetime and the impact on the environment is as a result enormous. And I just I just kind of worry that a lot of these habitats, you know, there's really there's really nowhere that's untouched by humanity at this point. And even some of these places that seem really wild are still managed or, you know, I, I did. I went to Florida a couple of times this year and um, there's all these invasive species, non-native plants, animals like lizards. Every, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so like, um, you know, so, the, so I suppose like getting out to a place like, you know, Panama or Costa Rica and hiring guides is really helpful to, you know, trying to keep, because people have to earn a living. They're going to be, they're going to either be, you know, cutting these trees down or, you know, so knowing that hey, if we preserve this, people will come and spend money here to see these things. Like that seems valuable to me
0: absolutely I I have uh, a couple of people I use in Costa Rica's local guides and yeah they need the business they they really need the business and it's it's fun to be out with them and even if you use a company most of the companies hire a local guide as their you know as the other guide you know maybe John Doe famous North American <laughs> takes a group to Peru and hires you know uh John or Jane Doe in 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 Peru, to you know, be their local resource. So it's, even if you use a company, you get that. But I really like hiring just to finding a good birder and hiring them. To take me birding. It's really fun.
1: Yeah. So I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll get out there is, to Central South America sometime soon. I, I'd also I, maybe like a dream trip might be a place like you know Tanzania, uh, somewhere kind of in East Africa. Mm-hmm. I also really love pelagic trips. They're probably one of I I would do them like every week uh, if I could, Uh, I feel bad that I don't get seasick at all. But if if people get seasick, the pelagic trips must just be truly horrific, but it would be so much fun to do some like pelagic birding, you know, in the Southern hemisphere, um, like from like South Africa or Australia. If money and time was no object, I would definitely want to do a trip from the you know the end of South America, the Antarctica, um, see like some of the some of those. Uh, I'm trying. I'm blanking on the name of the island now.
0: Uh, South, Georgia. South. Georgia. Yeah, yeah. I did that last fall. It oh, was well, that's so much crazy fun. cool. Crazy cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I, like, is it? Are they called prions? Prions. Yes, I learned. Yeah. Uh, that prions are the sub uh, sub cellular organism that causes all these disease and prions of the birds uh, i thought oh, it was okay. a prion when i went no no it's a prion <laughs> spell the same
1: <laughs> yeah pronunciation of a lot of bird species names is not easy uh like even i would say pileated woodpecker but i know there's some people who pronounce it differently
0: i'm a pileated guy
1: that's okay. <laughs> or uh like the uh i'm still not exactly sure of the uh the desert cardinal um i think it's Parluxia? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's a cool bird, though. (laughs) Yeah. So getting down to down to there and seeing kind of just all of those different pelagic birds in the Southern Hemisphere. There's so many different albatross and
0: I mean almost all the pelagic, but not all, but a a large percent of our pelagic birds breed in the southern Southern Oceans. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You know, sooty Shearwaters breed in New Zealand. You know, there are some breeders around here. Alcids more, but there aren't many tube noses that breed. There are a handful, but not many.
1: Yeah. So if I if I you know again if I could get out on a boat a lot more often, I, like I'm just amazed when we when I go on these trips, and the spotters are you know the, how how good they are at identifying something from a shaky moving boat that's three quarters of a mile away, hopping up and out of like wave troughs. Yeah. And, um, and they're like, Oh, that's, you know, that's a short tailed uh, shearwater, yeah. water, not a, not a city shearwater.
0: Yeah, it is amazing. Um, I, I was on a trip out of San Diego one year. I went to the sage and sea festival. I think it's like March. It's a fabulous birding festival. I went there a few years ago I was on the pelagic trip out of there. And uh, we're, you know, out, you know, a bunch of miles out at sea and, and not them. I mean, it's, it's good, but just a little bit quiet, but this, they, they chum constantly. So it's always birds off the, the stern and uh, the, the top leader is up at the top of the boat. And on the loudspeaker, he, he says, okay, everybody should move to the stern of the boat. And so we all go to the stern of the boat. And he said, keep your eye on the wake, keep your eye on the wake. And this year, I mean, how he saw this bird so far away is, may, but you know, like five minutes later, a greater shear a great shearwater shows up, and he said, he said you'll see. He called it as, look at the farthest bird you can see. Okay, now follow it, follow it. Okay, it's going to the left of the way it falls. Like call, like play by play as it came in, and uh, and then he says, that is the first San Diego County greater shearwater, and he, everybody on the boat jumping up and down, like how on earth. Did he pick that bird out from the other, you know, 200 shearwaters that are within sight at like four miles from the boat. I don't even know. These guys are so so good.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how many hours you have to spend on a boat to, to get that good. Maybe, maybe I could never get that good. I don't know. Um, But, uh, but the more time I can spend on a boat, you know, that's, that's something I look forward to a lot.
0: I like it. I, I, you know, seasickness is not, I've been there. And, uh, so I, I, I'm strategic about my pelagic birding. I, I, I like doing it, but would I sp- go out every week? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Good for you though. Good for you. <laughs> so what's the summer looking like for you? Do you have any birding uh, plans the next few weeks?
1: Well, I, uh, you yeah, know, my, my, my big trip was the one, uh, to Arkansas and that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I am headed up to Maine. Oh,
0: uh, my,
1: so my my family uh stays up there in the summertime. So I'm heading up to Maine. I'm from Maine. Where do you go? Uh Booth Bay Harbor. Okay. Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure I'll do the uh I'll talk people into going out on the uh the trip to the Eastern Egg Rock well, to he, see some
0: I'm I'm thinking of taking Marion on that trip this summer. It's a great trip. Is that it out of is it Wiscasset that it goes out of? I forget. Well, what. there's
1: there's two boats. Uh one goes out of I th- is it Bar Harbor? I think one goes out of Bar Harbor. Yeah, and it's that's clo- a long I think ride. that one's well, one of them was closer. Okay, we yeah. take the one out of Booth Bay. Uh that's cap it's I think the guy's name is Captain Fish. And okay. um and it's You spend a little bit more time, I think, getting to the island and a little less time at Eastern Egg Rock, but those boats move kind of so quickly anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always fun to see the puffins. And there's actually a tufted puffin that's been nesting well, oh, I don't wow. know if it's nesting, but it's been there. Oh, really? I don't. Th- I think it's just one. So I don't. It's think like it's, a, it's like here,
0: <laughs> a, a group from Tacoma went up and saw the the horn puffin with the tufted puffins at Smith
1: Island a week or two ago. So was- yeah, yeah. Although I, I wonder. I mean, a tufted puffin in the Atlantic might even
0: be more unusual than a horn oh, puffin. Yeah, all yeah. I have to do is get down from Alaska. Yeah, it's got to be yeah. pretty pretty unusual. It maybe it will join the. Uh, the perennial uh, red billed tropic bird over there is the yeah. Uh, I went to try to year. see.
1: I went to try to see Tropy, uh a couple years ago. I found this lobsterman that 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 was willing to go out there, and uh, I was I was worried because we were, it was a little bit late. Uh, like we go up there pretty much every year, and, but some years it's in July, some years it's August. This year we were there in August, and I was worried that they had already left and mm-hmm. they had we didn't see it. And uh, I think Troppy hasn't been back oh, since that
0: year. So, um, I, I yeah. was there one of the last years he was there, and uh, <laughs> uh, it was just on a uh, a whale watching kind of I don't know so both it a bolt that went out there for whatever reason uh and it really was birding was part of the trip but it wasn't the whole trip you know and uh they, they talked about it and they were just about to leave they said we waited the 45 minutes they had allotted on the trip to tr- see this bird and they knew which rock it nested on and uh-huh. it roosted on and <laughs> uh and it wasn't there it wasn't there so I guess troppy's not coming and uh, we have to go, and I say, can we wait a minute? I think it's coming. <laughs> it was flying <laughs> in from the distance, that it came in. So we, waited cool. a, we waited a minute and got it, so it was cool. Yeah, probably the
1: the most unusual bird that we saw on the island that time was a was a yellow-crowned night heron, which mm. seems like a pretty random bird for yeah. uh, 20 miles off the coast. But yeah, so I'll head up to Maine, and it's you know, the, like like just like back to kind of pelagic birding. I mean, these people that can differentiate these shearwaters at this distance. I mean, I'm I still struggle with arctic turn versus common turn,
0: and up in Do, doesn't everyone <laughs> honestly?
1: <Yeah. laughs> and up in Maine, you like there's there's so many of both. Like
0: Roseate's possible there too on each Rock.
1: I, yeah, that one I feel like I've kind of been able to sort out from the other two because they're just so much like whiter. Mm-hmm but common turn versus Arctic turn to me, like unless they're standing next to each other uh, since one's so much shorter. um, It's, I feel like I'm kind of just guessing most of the time.
0: Don't feel, don't feel too bad. I, I, Ken, Ken Brown, a good friend and I went to North Carolina this summer and we're out on uh, one of the, the boats out of Hatteras and, you know, expert guides, you know, Brian is on the boat. They're like really top, top people. And, uh, a, a turn came in and they they call them out arctic currents come in from the back blah 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 and two days later we get an email saying sorry you have to take the arctic turn off your list i got some better photos and it was a common turn so i mean <laughs> even the the super duper pros are, are not always right on that bird all right that's that makes me
1: that does make it feel a little bit better
0: <laughs> it does well thanks for doing this with me uh how can how can listeners get a hold of you if they want to what's the best way uh probably
1: through like email um isn't your uh, email
0: on isn't your email on the ebird profile
1: yeah i figure i put it on there just because yeah. i know that's especially since i've traveled to places that i, I don't know anybody i always kind of like you can kind of track down usually somebody like in the top top 10 birders for a particular county or something might have their hopefully has their contact info listed and i've had a lot of people very generously share information with me uh, just kind of out of the blue so I figure you know someday some, maybe I can return the favor if someone's coming out this way and they want to know about a particular spot
0: yeah yeah, yeah
1: just uh Greg the teacher at gmail.com
0: Exactly. not Greg the birder Greg the teacher <laughs> The the email address predates your birding passion.
1: It does. It does.
0: (laughs) Good. Well, anyway, uh, so I won't put that in the podcast notes because I don't want you to get spammed. But uh, you can find (laughs) Greg on as uh, if you're in King County, Washington or Washington State, uh, the top 100 for the year. You're usually there uh, somewhere. And uh, you can find his profile and get his eBird address. So uh, that's terrific. Greg, thanks so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, you have a great rest of the summer and good bird. Yeah, thank you. You too. Well, that wraps up. This episode of the Bird Dinner Podcast with Greg Harrington. Thanks for listening. We talk about some things on the podcast that I want to make sure I uh, emphasize a little bit here. Greg mentioned that he uses a birder's guide to Washington a lot. The second edition of that is available on paper uh, as a paperback book. But the really cool thing about that is on the WOS website, WOS.org, uh, the Washington Ornithological Society site, is a constantly updated ver- electronic version of that Uh uh, bird-finding guide to Washington. Uh, it Periodically, sites are updated. It's really kept pretty current, and it's just a fabulous resource. On the WASP website, it's free. The other thing we I, I mentioned is a book called Bird Finder, a bird's guide to planning North American trips by Jerry Cooper. It is one of the ABA uh, uh bird finding guides and it is so much fun even if you don't plan to take the trips just reading about the trips that he writes about and the book isn't really fun it's an old book so it's not really current but it gives you great ideas of a route to take and some trips that i certainly want to take more of the trips he describes in that book it's just super super cool Larkwire, I'll also put a link to, is a really fun game uh, that you can use to learn bird songs. It's just a fabulous resource. And Greg mentioned birdingquiz.com. Uh, it's a really good uh, a website. I had checked it out after I talked with him, and I'm loving it. We also, He also mentioned a possible second brood by Downy Woodpeckers. I thought, that could be. I wonder if he's right. Well, I looked up Downy Woodpecker on Birds of the World. The website we talked about from uh, Cornell. And it sounds like m- almost all woodpeckers, and especially downies, don't have a second brood. Uh, there are no known second broods of downy woodpeckers, so it's pretty unlikely that they, they were making a second brood. Uh, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they're making a fake uh, hole to f- get predators away or Who knows what they're doing, but probably not making a second bird for the year. Anyway, that's just some uh, stuff that kind of came to my mind after doing the episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day.